0: Lord God, we love you. Uh, it is for you that we are here, that we want to experience uh, your manifest presence in this space. And God, we we just we submit our souls to you, that you would guide them and shepherd them through life. Um, that God, we would live out your will for our lives as a response to the grace that has already been shown us in Jesus Christ, um, by the blood of Jesus. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in the gospel that has saved our souls. And God, I pray that you would teach us tonight. Um, God, that you would teach us uh, through Nathan, uh, your servant, uh, who you have given to the church uh, to help us in a unique way of uh, first impressions and next steps in helping people get acclimated to the, the culture of this church. Um, God that you would help us to see what does hospitality look like for the Christian. And where do we see that in the Bible? And uh, God that you would help us to apply that to our lives, something that we value as a church that we would we would apply the biblical truths that we hear tonight to our lives and to our homes. God that we would be young adults who maximize and utilize our our own space, our own influence. Uh, for your glory and for our good and the good of our community, of those who we want to welcome into our homes and at our tables in the name of Jesus. Uh, So God, would you guide this conversation tonight? Would you lay it upon our hearts how you would have us to live it out? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank
1: you for allowing me uh, the opportunity to come here today and share uh, something to the Lord uh, has laid on my heart and told us Christians um, what it's a commandment that we're to do. Uh, so go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter 4, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time this evening. And while you turn there, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, uh, and also, too, i uh, I have, like Cross that I used to be an intern in the Young Adults, and there's still a lot of you guys that I remember, and a lot of you guys that I, I haven't talked to in a while, and I cannot wait to catch up with you after this. And a few of you I see, I've, I've not seen before, but I actually remember you from high school, and I'm not going to say the name because if I'm wrong, you'll never know. Uh, but what's so cool about the way the Lord works is that He has crafted each individual uh, so perfectly the way that he wanted you to be crafted. And a few of you have so many gifts that you're probably not even realizing you have, or probably not even realizing you have the capability of. And this one individual, uh, again, I'm not making eye contact or mentioning them because if I'm wrong, and this is not the individual, is incredibly smart. So smart that uh, when she and I had physics together, uh, just blew me out of the water. And I'm not saying I'm smart, I'm quite dumb. But the thing is, is she blew everyone else out of the water too. So just, there's so many gifts you guys have. This is me making my way introduction. Now I've introduced this random person, I'll introduce <laughs> me. Um, so my name is Nathan Stanfield. I'm our guest services and next steps pastor, uh, as Andrew Cross said earlier. And so what that means is I kind of help with that intentional hospitality of Bellevue. Uh, my wife and I have been married for almost four years. So it'll be four years in January. We're expecting a little boy in February. And so hopefully he'll be born kind of around Valentine's Day is what we're thinking. And then we have one basset hound named Waylon And um, he's super cute. Has anyone ever had a basset hound before? Not a single person. Oh, over here. Now, the cool thing about basset hounds is when they get locked into, like, a thing, they they don't stop thinking about that thing. And it's often very weird things. And so this morning, we were trying to get him to, like, get out of his bed because they sleep for, like, 18 hours a day. And we just wanted to make sure he wasn't dead. And so we're, like, pushing him. And he does this thing now where he, like, just... He only drinks water from outside the house, and so we have like three water bottles, water bowls throughout our living room and our kitchen that at one point in time, he decided that's where he was going to drink, and now it's like outside, and so I don't know how this winter is going to work out for him being freezing cold uh, outside, but I'll jump out of that and jump into our lesson now that you guys are ready. Uh, so tonight, as we look at 1 Peter, I want you to understand a little of who Peter was writing to. It's crucial information uh, for us as we read the words he's written to us tonight. So this letter that we're about to read was written by Peter, and it was circulated to Christians located around what is now modern-day Turkey. It was written during a time of political unrest and uneasiness, and shortly after this letter was written and distributed, the, the Emperor Nero began his reign of persecution of Christians in the empire. So Peter's message for Christians then is interesting to me in this passage because in his message amidst suffering and amidst turmoil and all the things they're going to be going through, the Lord decided to bring up something that we often neglect in those very times, and that's serving one another. And so we're in similar circumstances even today, Um, and I can almost guarantee that you don't think the way that you need to push through these circumstances is, how can I serve someone else? And the toilet paper shortage is a prime example of that. Um, I walked into my mom's house uh, like last week and I went into her upstairs and I look around the corner and I'm not kidding you. She has like 500 rolls of toilet paper. And I was like, you are the problem. And, And she's like, yeah, but when you run out, you know where to come. And so I was like, okay. But so there's a lot that we can learn from First Peter about serving one another. And that's, that's what I'm going to focus on tonight is about the importance of serving when there are so many things that we could possibly be doing. Why is that a thing that God wants us to focus our energy on? Why is that um, what he says in this passage? So let's read. It's First Peter 4. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, The first reason I believe it is important for Christians to prioritize serving in their life is that we bear a holy name worth protecting. Peter says that we're stewards of God's very grace. Another way we could say this is we're caretakers of gifts that we've been given. If God is giving you a gift like what is mentioned here, it's because you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. We're given spiritual gifts From the Holy Spirit, but God has also designed you in a unique way to serve his kingdom. We can see Jesus explaining this a bit more directly in John 13 in verses 34 through 35. He says, "...a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." So think for a moment, I'm gonna tie, tie these two things together. I want you to think, if I were to tell you that I was a woodworker, that I did that as a hobby, someone who makes furniture, you would want proof or you would at least ask about it. You might say, hey, can you show me some pieces of furniture that you've made? Or what are your thoughts about what finish I should use on this piece of furniture? And to that, I would answer yes. I love talking about me and showing off my stuff. And here are some photos of a coffee bar that I made with an attached hutch. I made this for my wife last week. And then I would also say, as far as finishes go, you can never go wrong with a good lacquer. It just just works every time. If I were to tell you I'm a follower of Christ, you might want some proof of that as well. As a Christian yourself, you might start thinking of diagnostic questions that would help you identify my walk with the Lord and determine my fruits. You might ask me, so do you have a quiet time? Are you memorizing scripture? These are things that Christians expect other Christians to be able to do, but I want to challenge you to ask some other questions about yourself and your own walk. Because you got to make sure you're not only practicing those spiritual disciplines, you need to be practicing some physical and practical disciplines as Christians as well. And I pose that question of what are you doing practically and physically because those are the questions that the world asks of us. The world looks at us, they ask different questions than we do. They They don't care about how many verses we memorized. They say, you tell us that you follow a guy that says love your neighbor as yourself, and how are you doing that? The other day, I got a call from a friend who wanted to know if Bellevue would open their parking lot for, a, of all things, a Jeep Club of Memphis event. They, they recently had a club member who had passed away. He was a veteran. He had fought in Afghanistan, and they wanted to honor his memory by caravanning from Bellevue to his gravesite altogether. Um, they, the gravesite was just over the bridge in Arkansas, but Bellevue's parking lot was the only parking lot big enough to handle the amount of Jeeps that they wanted to, to bring, so me having no capability to authorize such event immediately said yes, absolutely, <laughs> um, because I want to see a ton of Jeeps in one spot and selfishly. So the event comes along. Um, it was a little underwhelming, and that's part of the story. So he called me at first and said, yeah, it's going to be about 200 Jeeps. I'm like, that's, that's a lot of Jeeps. And, um, you know, tell me more. And so he's, he's we're going to be here this time, da, da, da. You know, is your security okay with that? I talked to security. They're good with it. A day before the event, he says, hey, the event's gotten big. It's actually going to be 1,200 Jeeps. And so I'm like, I can't even count that high. That's insane. Let's do it. And so I'm, I'm ready. And so I'm, I'm calling my wife. I'm like, hey, I know we had a date, but there's going to be 1,200 Jeeps in the Bellevue parking lot. We, we got to go. And, um, and so I get here, and I'm a little underwhelmed because there's not 1,200 Jeeps. And again, this will come back to play. There's like 40, 40 Jeeps. You can understand my disappointment. Walking into the parking lot and seeing that, but I look over to my left when I pull in the parking lot, and there's well over 300 Harley Davidson bikes. I was not expecting that one bit, and so I, there was a police officer there who was helping direct the caravan. I asked them where did they come from because I just knew about the jeeps, and he's like, "Man, they they just said they wanted to join." So I'm like, "Great, did more more vehicles in one spot. I mean, I I'm a big I like those kind of things," and so. It was an unexpected turn of events, but I learned a really precious lesson from this interaction between the bikers over to my left and the Jeeps over to my right. So as they're lining up, they've kind of all come to these two parking lots. Um, The bikers are noticeably different. They're lined up in perfect rows, and for the most of the time, they mingled with each other very quietly and orderly, and I was a little surprised by that. As they were getting ready to leave about five minutes before, one leader got up and he used a megaphone to clearly articulate their route and plan for leaving the lot and getting on the interstate. And he had intense rules. He was like, all right, team one, you're going to go at 35 miles an hour off this freeway. When you enter, do not let anyone enter the lane next to you. Team two, you're going to follow right behind. And it was just quick and it was precise. And he knew exactly what he was talking about. Jeep club, totally different. One guy was like, all right, y'all get it wrong. Come on. Come on. And he gets up and they're like they're talking and, and it was less of orderly and more like, remember, keep your hands and feet inside the Jeeps when you're going down the road. That's just a, this is classic safety. And that was the difference. And so what I noticed after observing these two different factions here, the Harleys versus the Jeeps, was that It was an organized masterpiece over here on the Harley side. They got out over 300 bikes out of our parking lot under 75 seconds because they filed out one by one. They weren't competing for position. They got there when they got there, and they did what they were told, and they all played their part. The Jeeps, on the other hand, again, there's only like 40. It took them seven minutes to get out of our parking lot, and they almost had three wrecks. And it was because no one knew what they were doing and everyone was vying for position. Everyone was trying to get in front of the other one and they were just trying to be the first jeep on the scene. And so when all this was said and done, I learned like a really weird lesson from it all. But the bikers' humility, their order, their camaraderie, as they each played their part and stayed in their lanes, they didn't care about who was first or who, and and they didn't care about what order they came in the group. They just wanted to honor this veteran. And so they all came together and were willing to listen and do their part for something that was beyond them and something that was that was just beyond who, what they were there for. But in the Jeep club, I saw a desire to be the flashiest. I saw a desire to be the first one on the scene. General chaos, something that was supposed to be a unified club, was ultimately a disappointment. And I was really challenged in my own heart. Was in, I, I publicly proclaim the name of Christ, but do I act like the Jeep group? Where I say I'm gonna do one thing and I'm ultimately a disappointment because I don't actually do what I said I'm gonna do? Or am I more like the humble bikers who actually are a club, who actually do what they say they're gonna do and they, they're unified in a cause that's bigger than them? So, brothers and sisters, I need you to hear me. No one knows we follow Jesus if we don't act like it. We do nothing but tarnish his holy name when we have him in our bios, but we don't have his humble works on our hands. Suppose you leave here tonight, and you're, you're probably going to go to sleep somewhere. You're going to play volleyball. You're going to be tired. You're going to go to cookout. You're going to get something to eat. Then you're going to be sleepy. In that case, the chance that you're doing so in a place uh, where you live, you're within 20 yards of another human being. And in most cases, that's the case. I know some of you guys, it may be a little more if you live out in Arlington, a little more spaced out. But you're, with, you're really close to another human being. I want to challenge you. That's somebody that you can serve in some way. And when you serve them, you're being Jesus to them. When you come to this church, we have on average, and this is during COVID, we have on average 40 first time guests in our campus every week. A few years ago, we did a a thing where we would have everybody in the worship center sign a card just to let us know they're here. If you're a first time guest, fill out the entire card. If you're not, just put your name on it. We did that. So that first time guests would feel more comfortable because if you're the only one pulling out a card and filling it out and no one else on your row is doing it, you're less inclined to actually fill it out. The reason we want that information so we can get connected with you. That's that was our goal. We weren't, you know, just trying to get their social security number. It was for a purpose. Um, but what we found is that we had over 110 1st time guests on average come into our doors as people that saw either Jesus for the first time or saw Bellaby for the first time. That's a lot of people. And it really pressed in the importance of serving them, of serving the people in our church and being intentionally hospitable. When you take the time to greet these people and then show them how to get where they want to go, this is a big place, easy to get lost, you're being like the very person that they came to know more about, and that's Christ. We make people want to join us or we make people never want to be anywhere near us based on how we live our lives. Not only should we prioritize serving because we bear a holy name, but we should also prioritize serving because we should glorify a holy God. Going back to our central passage, we see that we should serve each other in in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified when you serve. You just need to think about that for a moment. God, the creator of galaxies, nebulas, solar systems, planets, oceans, animals, and you, you glorify him when you serve other people. If or when you accept Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and fills you. When we serve, we effectively show each other how God has done a work in us and now is doing a work through us. We should be bringing glory to His name. When we serve, our motivation should be out of a love for God, and we should want to serve out of appreciation for what He's done for us to glorify His name. God has crossed the great divide between Him and us that was made by sin, and he is sending and he sent his son to die in our place, and he provided a way for us to be in his presence, and he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us when we serve one another using the gifts that he gave us through his holy spirit and through creating us. We say to the world and to him, we are thankful for you and for and all glory to you goes or all glory goes to you for what you have done. That's what we say when we serve. And I want you to just take a moment and and you can feel free to you know, close your eyes in this part if you want, but think about all the things that God has done for you Just take a moment, start thinking about that. Uh, this morning I walked into work. I was very, very tired and, um, I was, I was sleepy. We have seen Christmas tree going on. It's a little thing we do, little play we put on. And, um, it, it's, it takes a lot of, you know, dynamic as it takes a lot of things to, to make happen. And so I was really tired. I was not looking forward to spreadsheets and all this stuff. And I was reminded of an exercise that I'm supposed to do when I'm feeling this way. And it's to just start thanking God for the things that you have. And so I was like, well, Lord, I thank you that this morning I had a hot coffee in my kitchen. That's something that is so small, but I know there are people that don't have that. Thank you, Lord, that I woke up. I had a roof over my head. It wasn't leaking. I woke up. My my bed was warm from where I was sleeping in it. I, I was able to put on clothes. I was able to drive here. I have a job. I get to work with people I like. Lord, thank you for that. And as I did that, I started thinking, okay, I can do this. I, I can get up here and I can glorify the Lord through what we're doing. And so by doing that, by really understanding what God has for us and what he's given us, we can serve well. So when you come to church and you're, and you're feeling like, oh, man, like I just don't want to be here right now. I'd rather be somewhere else or I just need to check this box. You've got a church home. You've got people that love you. The Lord's providing a way for you to hear from Him. The Holy Spirit's here. You can worship. You can sing. These are things that you can be thankful for that can help you get in that mode of wanting to serve. God's empowered us to do things the right way where before we could only do them wrong. That was through the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit coming in before us. Now we can serve properly where before we weren't able to do that. And I want to ask you this question. Do you know why creation itself glorifies God? And this is where you can close your eyes. I I said that a little too earlier. Look at the waves. Imagine waves on a beach in the sunset. Think about the way the water comes in. It goes out. The sky, it goes from a beautiful blue to a dazzling red and pink when the sun just sets and night falls immediately after. You look at the sky, you see stars shining and twinkling in their little spots that was set in place. And the longer you look, the deeper the sky goes, the more brilliant the lights seem. Often in those moments, that's when you realize how complex and at the same time, how beautiful creation is. And you start to think, wow, isn't God good? Isn't, isn't God who created all this good? And it's because God, the, the creator, he told creation what to do. And in those moments, it's doing what he said. And that's why I love the song that was sang, because those first verses. And he said it, Andrew, even the rocks will cry out if we don't. Because God created earth. He created everything in the universe. And when it does what what he says to do, it glorifies him. He sets the boundaries and systems and order in place. And our natural inclination uh, when we see those things is to be in awe and in peace and in wonder at him. When you are told what to do by God and you do what He says, your life can't help but bring glory to His name. When God gives us commands, He's not just listing rules because He said so. He knows that if we do what He commands us in Scripture, we are functioning the way that He designed us to function. We not only get to really experience the joy that only comes from serving others, but we experience an even deeper joy of being able to give God glory. This is something that may seem daunting, but we don't have to just guess at how we're supposed to do this. And so that leads us to our final point tonight, is that we have a model in our Savior. So I want to talk about another passage. It's in Mark chapter 10, and we see this in a a little more depth. In Mark chapter 10 and 42 through 45, it says, Jesus called them to him. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered, he's talking to uh, his disciples here, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, or basically saying, when the Gentiles have their little organizations, the ones they place at top really take advantage of that. They really take advantage of the fact that they're at top, they tell people what to do, they delegate things, they don't actually do a lot of work. Um, I heard it said the other day, you know, Jim works here, but we don't really know what he does. It's that kind of thing. Um they would lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, you must be slave of all, sorry. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our model right there. That's what we're supposed to do. And again, we glorify God by doing that. And we, we speak praises to his name when we do that. Jesus did not have any desire to force people under his authority. He had the authority and he had every right to rule with an iron fist, but he chose instead to serve. He chose to use that power and that authority to serve us. We are drawn to the idea that we can be great by using our talents to benefit ourselves and to make a name for ourselves. But I would challenge you on this. If you find that the only time you do any work is for yourself or for a paycheck, you are not humbly serving. You're working for yourself and you're working for your kingdom. And I will admit I fell into this and I was convicted of this when I was writing this message. And even before when I, when they asked me to do this role of guest services, um, I was convicted of this. So I, I, again, I work here for the church Uh, which means I spend a minimum of 40 hours a week doing work for the church, and I do feel like it's what I'm called to do, and I don't doubt it for a second. But it hit me one day that I'm not doing what I'm asking the other church members to do. It takes deacons, volunteers, husbands with jobs, wives with jobs, people with time constraints to make this place run. For instance, we have a team of volunteers that are just over our guest services, um, someone give me a number of how many people you think it takes to make a Sunday work. Just shout it out. I'll tell you if you're wrong. 200. Higher. Higher. Well, not at 1,200. That's, <laughs> that's, I would love to get there. Um, it takes about 500 to 550. And, and the reason it takes that much is because we have a huge building. There's a lot of doors. There's a lot of places someone could get lost. And so we want to put people there to help greet them. It takes a lot of people. These are all people with jobs, just like you. These are all people with lives, just like you. Um, one day I, I spoke to a guy who does our valet, and uh, I said, hey, man, how, how's your day going? Or he's like, man, it's rough. My, uh, you know, so-and-so just died in my family. But he's here serving. I'm like, man, if that was me. I would not be here. I'd be somewhere else. Or, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going through a really tough time with our teenager. They really haven't da-da-da-da-da. Or, and these are conversations they've had. My job has just been really demanding. I've been so tired. And I'm like, why are you here at eight o'clock in the morning? You know, like you're ready to go. And my I'm challenged by that. I realized that on top of asking these folks who work 40 hours or more weeks to serve the church for free on top of that, and I wasn't willing to do that myself. Vernon Stafford is a prime example of this. If you know him, you love him. He's an executive of a very large corporation. He serves selflessly as a chairman of deacons on our, at our church but he makes hospital visits. He goes on mission projects. If I called Vernon right now and asked him to serve as a greeter on Sunday, he would say, where do you want me? And do you mind if I bring my wife to serve with me? Because that's his heart. He serves the Lord. He loves the Lord. and He glorifies the Lord in that, but he's also the chairman of, of a, or he's not chairman, but he's an executive of a really big corporation. The Lord grabbed my heart on this. And now I really do try to serve whenever I can, not just when I'm here working at the church. And I'm not trying to elevate myself. I'm trying to stress the point that if you're consumed with your work, your schedule, and yourself, serving just will not be a part of your life. I fell into the trap where I thought I was being, where I thought that being employed at church made me holy enough to skip out on the menial tasks. But God severely reminded me, you are not holier than my son. And if serving sacrificially isn't a part of your life, you're not looking like Jesus. Jesus had the literal weight of the world on his shoulders, and he served others nonstop. In comparison to Jesus, I had a slightly busier, busier, busier schedule than I wanted, and I had a little less time to binge watch the office. We've, and we find ourselves in this situation. We find ourselves choosing not to serve others because we want to pursue what we want to do. This is somewhat off the wall, what I'm about to say. Let me take you on a little thought path that uh, I went on, and this is just a glimpse into my mind. It's a little scary. Hang with me. You'll be fine. Um, Jesus can turn stones into bread, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, Jesus can turn stones into bread. We saw this. He went to the desert. Anyone tracking with me? Do y'all read the Bible? Okay, so Jesus can do that. He's physically capable of doing it. He didn't do it, but he could. He can make the blind see. He did that. He has access through the Father to know everything you will do, everything I will do. It also means that he knows who invented the jet ski, and he knew that that guy was going to do it. So theoretically, I'm not saying he would, but just realize if Jesus wanted to for a weekend, he could have taken a sea dew out on the Sea of Galilee and just hung out. He could have definitely done that. Um, You know, come on, who doesn't have fun on a jet ski? And so that was something that someone told me. It's a side tangent. doesn't go with this. I did not write this down. Money does not buy happiness, but money does buy a jet ski. And I've never seen a sad person on a jet ski. I'm just saying. So I'm not saying Jesus would do that, but he could have, theoretically. We don't see him ever doing things like that. We don't ever see him just going off and doing something like that. And we do see him pulling away to rest. But he spends that time with the Father. He spends that time... Asking the Lord, what's your will? How can I serve you more? And spending time reflecting on what's going on and and hearing from the Lord, that's what he spends his free time doing. And then he immediately goes right back in to serving others that are around him while he's here on this earth. And you may say, well, Nathan, I'm not Jesus. And I would agree because you cannot make a jet ski. You just can't. Um, But you can and you should strive to be more like him in the way that you serve in your free time. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying you should feel guilty about taking a vacation or time off, but what I am saying is take a good look at how you're spending your free time. We are never more like Jesus when we decide, than when we decide to give up something we want to do for the sake of serving God or our fellow man. We all too often get stuck in addictive and deceptive uh, cycles of self-servitude, but this is never what God intended for us to do we were created to serve. Serve God first and then serve others after that. I promise you that if you start your days by asking God, how do you want me to serve today, and let that be your goal, you will see a richness come about in your life that we all desperately are wanting. We will be walking in obedience to God and giving ourselves opportunities to explain why we do what we do, thus glorifying Him. Others will see your service and genuinely want to know more about why you do what you do. And you will end up being more like Jesus.